You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad, and um, we all know we're going through strange times, and it's particularly a strange time for anybody who is dependent upon interactivity with other human beings for not just their livelihood, but also for their mental health and for every aspect of their life. And I have the honour of sitting in virtual studio with Brian Kennedy. And Brian, thanks a million, first of all, for agreeing to come along. It's great to have you here. Well, you're welcome, Austin. It's great to talk to you. Hey, what time is it there exactly? Five-hour time difference. Oh, wow. Okay, so you're... In the morning. We're earlier. earlier. Yeah, yeah, you're behind us. Yeah. Um, Hello to all the listeners there. Hi to everybody in Ottawa and, and of course, around the world, because these days everything is worldwide web. Indeed, indeed. Um, Brian, uh, what I wanted us to talk about was a whole range of things because people know you for your music. But I actually want to talk to you a little bit about your writing before we talk yeah. about your music. Because yeah. you, you, you have put pen to paper and you published uh, back in the early 2000s. Um, yeah, and bizarrely, Austin, I'm sitting beside my shelf with my very first novel on it. There it is. Yes, upside down. I've said down there, it's called The Arrival of Fergal Flynn. Yes. That's the first novel. There it is. Yeah. Um, and I was reading a little bit about that. Yeah. The creative process, because you're also a songwriter, what drew you to writing books? But you know, I've always been interested in reading and stories, and sometimes songs can take the, the shape of a short story, like some of my favourite songs written by people like... You know, Tom Waits is, I think, a real master at that kind of thing. Joni Mitchell, an incredible songwriter and somebody who's able to sum up nearly a whole life in just one song. The thing about a song is you get, you often get to repeat the chorus, but in, in stories you don't. You know, you, I, I started writing short stories, and um, I found that one day that a story was just getting longer and longer and longer. And, and sort of unbeknownst to me, you know, it started turning into, I was kind of scared to call it a book or a novel or anything for ages because then that, that gave it a very particular identity. So I just kept going with it. I, I came up with this character who was similar to me in the sense that he was born in, uh, in West Belfast in the Falls Road in a very difficult time historically. He was also gay and negotiating whatever that meant at that time. And, uh, but he then, the great thing about fiction is, is that you can give characters, uh, you know, attributes you maybe wouldn't have been able to have yourself or you weren't brave enough to have that. Or, and once your imagination has wings like that, um, I found that I just flew and flew. And really, I think the storytelling voice is quite similar to the singing voice, the songwriting voice. It's really just all about the voice in the end. And it's the opposite of touring, you know, because um, I sit still like this. I'm literally at my desk talking to you. And, um, and instead of going on a tour around the world like I do, my brain gets to do that and I actually stay still physically. And, and so in a way, I, I often liken it to crop rotation in the sense that, you know, doing gigs, um, playing, you know, being in the studio, working on songs, recording, getting out there and perfecting all of that. Then suddenly the opposite happens where I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not seeing anybody. It's a very solitary existence. So the fact that we're in lockdown now for the past few months, I haven't found it difficult at all because I actually spend periods of my life doing just that. No, it's different, as you know, Austin. Mm -hmm. People say to you that you're not allowed to go out, you're not allowed to travel, then it's the very first thing that you want to do then when you're not allowed to do something. I, 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 so I, I would liken it to that, that I, that's what I love about story writing. And I just had a short story published. In fact, and this, this book is called Reading the Future. 
um, and it's a new collection by Hodgson Figgis of all kinds of different people writing, and that's the most recent thing I've had published. It's a short story called There Was Only So Much One House Could Take, and it's a short story. The narrator is the house, not the people in the house. So we just go through the kind of history of what happens in this particular house. So honestly, I love to tell stories. I love to sing about stories, and yeah, that's how it all got started. So while I can fully appreciate the um, mental ability to cope as a writer in this time, because an awful lot of time it's isolationist, transitioning from writing to touring and touring to writing in the regular time, it's, you're going to opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, definitely. And like I say, it's kind of like crop rotation. When I start to get burnt out by, you know, spending a lot of time with people and, uh, you know, going to loads of airports and setting up and, you know, doing it all over again every single night. And I adore it. But there comes a natural point where you go, oh, my goodness, I'm exhausted. And, and so you naturally need, you know, uh, quietude. You need a bit of solace. You need a bit of that stuff. And then there's a natural point where that comes to its natural end. You think, oh, God, I'd love to be on the road. I'd love to be out there with hundreds of people. So... It seems one thing seems to sort of feed the next thing, you know, and goes around in circles very sort of healthily, you know. But writing books, you know, it, I don't know if you've ever written a book or you know people who write, it absolutely takes over your life. And, you know, even on the last minute where you definitely send the final draft with all the final corrections and you go to the post office with your big envelope and you put, finally post it, and then the next thing the next time you see all of that work is actually a beautiful published printed book. There's no greater feeling than that. It's the same with records and albums and, and tour posters. And when you actually physically see your work in front of you and you can see that all of the work was, you know, for a purpose at the end, then there's no greater feeling than that. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Every, I'm thinking about, you know, another story that I'm thinking about working on. But, again, I'm not saying much about it because the minute you tell somebody you're working on a new book, they go, oh, ends it out. And so suddenly there's pressure. So I just kind of quietly beaver away and when it's ready, it's ready. The first line in, or the first few lines in one of the songs you have, um, Dry Your Eyes. Oh, yeah, well, that's, a, that's a song by the streets. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I get asked to do interesting covers on radio shows. That's the Ray Darcy show. And he, is a, a, he had a thing called Even Better Than The Real Thing. Yes. Which is, you know, obviously well-known artists covering well-known songs that they haven't written. And I love uh, the challenge of, of trying to come up with a way, how would I do a song that's essentially a rap in the verses and then a, a song chorus? Yeah, oh, God, I'm glad you picked up on that. I haven't heard it from anything. And what is in it is in the first few lines of the lyrics is how your life can change on a dime. Yeah. And you, you've had these experiences. Most certainly I have. In the last three, four years, you know, uh, I suppose we, it's time to talk about uh, the big C, and I don't mean COVID, I mean cancer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, I, I, I was diagnosed very suddenly with rectal cancer in 2016. Mm -hmm. Now, bizarrely, uh, my eldest brother at the time uh, was also, had just been diagnosed with um, pancreatic cancer, and he died after only five months of, of a journey with that disease, because pancreatic is, I don't know if you know anything about it, but it's, it certainly seems that by the time you detect it, it's too late. Mm -hmm. Whereas my cancer was very, very treatable, even though it was a very, uh, it was an extreme nine-hour surgery. I had to learn to walk again. Mm -hmm. um, I, I ended up with two stomas for people at home. Again, Google stoma, but it, it's the Latin word for whole, essentially. And what you, what doctors do is once you lose the, the use of your rectum, they replumb you, and so mm -hmm. suddenly you have two, in my case, two colostomy bags, one colostomy, one ileostomy. Mm -hmm. So in other words, for poo and for pee. 
mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it happens around the front. So that was a major shift uh, for me physically. Um, I have to tell you, even after a couple of weeks after I got out of the hospital, um, I actually ended up getting up on stage to sing at a benefit, a fundraising benefit for somebody here, and then you know <laughs> spent three or four days in bed after that. But I, w- I was very, very determined that even though I knew this was a very serious condition, and it was a ro- you know I ended up doing six months of chemotherapy and radiation and all kinds of things. This time last year, in fact, Austin, I just finished my chemotherapy, um, so it was a very long road. But I'm happily happy to tell you that I do have another scan coming up this year. Um, but it's my fourth year in the journey now, and I'm doing great. I'm digging away. Well, I was digging away <laughs> until COVID, and it's just made me even more determined to enjoy life absolutely to the fullest. To go in for a nine-hour surgery, that must have been mm. frightening in advance because, you know, we do pull up the worst possible scenarios in our brain. Yeah, yeah, and I would be similar to that in some ways, except I, the good thing about it was actually is that they didn't really tell me exactly, you know, what would happen. They didn't say I wouldn't be able to walk after the after the actual surgery, things like that. I didn't know that was going to happen. And I didn't think I would do another round of chemotherapy. I'd, I'd done a very small amount of it before with radiation, and then a couple of years later, then I ended up doing six months of it, which is what they do to absolutely eradicate any possibility of it returning, they say. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm, as, you, as you know yourself, you know, I'm a creative person. I can't help but invent scenarios and things that might happen. But all I knew were the very bare minimum facts, which were the re-plumbing situation, the fact that I end up with colostomy bags and things like that. So I knew that. But as you say, there's nothing that prepares you for the reality of it. Being wheeled in there, knowing that I had left no stone unturned in terms of trying to find, you know, other kinds of treatment and, and you know, I... I I'd uh, attempted veganism and, and cannabis oil and vitamin C therapy and hyperbaric uh, oxygen therapy, all kinds of you know alternative treatments. But ultimately, there I was being wheeled in, and they gave you th- they gave me a cocktail of you know morphine and um, fentanyl and uh, ketamine and all kinds of drugs that obviously keep your body alive but keep you under for around nine hours. So the recovery process was very very difficult. I was in hospital for about. 20 days. I had terrible hallucinations for the first three or four days because of those that cocktail of drugs. And um, Oxycontin was also part of it. And I mean, it was amazing what you can put your body through and come out the other side. And sure, now I'm back in the gym. I'm back walking. I'm running a little bit. I'm exercising. I'm, and I'm feeling great. I mean, I lost four stone in weight after that surgery. So I had to take, uh, you know, take time to put that on healthily, which I did. Mm-hmm. So all good, ultimately, fingers crossed, it's go- all going in the right direction. But yeah, it's not for the faint-hearted. Were you ever <coughs> frightened that you weren't coming out, going to come out before you went in? That this, well, you this, this past thing, and, and that as a result, you have to confront your own mortality? Yeah, I certainly made sure that I had my will made and there was no... You know, nothing confusing about that. And you have to, as you know, you have to sign a release form to say that if you die under anesthetic on the operating table, then you die and nobody gets sued. You know, and also you have to pay because I had a very strange experience with insurance. I didn't have the right insurance. Ultimately, you have to pay up front for these things again in case you die. So, yes, it did occur to me. Um, and unfortunately, uh, a handful of very close people in the, in the following year also died of cancer. Um, and it's anniversary tomorrow. Uh, of a, a gorgeous young woman, Danica McGuigan. You know Barry McGuigan, the mm-hmm. boxer, mm-hmm. and his wife Sandra. Her only daughter, Danica, died exactly a year ago tomorrow mm-hmm. from uh, bowel cancer. So, you know, it's it's not lost on you how quickly your life can be snuffed out, and particularly because my brother had died so quickly after five months. And here I am 
four years later, you know, obviously still doing my thing and, and moving through the world as somebody who's on a journey with cancer, because it's never really over your journey. You're always aware of it, and, and, and there's possibilities that things return and so on. But, yeah, I mean, the, absolutely I considered not being able to come back from it, but ultimately I'm an optimist. I've got to tell you, Austin, I, I was visualizing myself well. I was visualizing myself walking down the street talking to people, recording again, and I did. I ended up turning a lot of the experience into a record called Recovery, mm-hmm. which was... Um, do I have a... I do. Look, it's so great to be sitting at my work desk. Yeah. These are selfies of me. The one on the left, you know, you can see just before the operation, then bang, the operation with the thing down my nose and then losing all that weight and then slowly but surely coming back. So, again, the songs helped me get through it, helped me articulate how difficult it was and, and it offers hope to other people. And I love singing those songs now because even recovery has also taken on a completely new meaning with all of this COVID stuff and, and our you know, our, our economy being on, on on the floor and so on. So there's always, I think there's always something to be, you know, gained from going through a very difficult experience. And one of which is, is alerting other men to being tested and, and not um, accepting, you know, the first diagnosis that they get. Because I was actually misdiagnosed and the doctor was saying to me, you're fine, go home, there's nothing wrong with you. And I'm thinking, I'm not fine, there's something not right with me, even though I was suffering terribly at that time. So it does pay to, to go and have a, something like a colonoscopy, which is invasive, but then you find out for absolutely 200% sure whether, and that's how we found my tumour, because it was small enough to need a camera to find it, I mm-hmm. think, and then, mm-hmm. then we, mm-hmm. could, uh, we could get on it very quickly. That's why I'm still here. And that was the going in, but then to come back out, I know it gives you an appreciation for life that you wouldn't, yeah. um, that so many out there take for granted that until you have that brush with your mortality, yeah. one way or another. And I know on, on that CD recovery, you have days like this. Yeah. <laughs> and days like this are every day. It are every day, and no more so than ever now, because it's just a real celebration of, you know, of, you know I suppose of just thinking about what you've been through. You know, when it's, as Van says, Van Morrison obviously wrote that song. Yeah. I sang it with him. Back in the day, people at home can, uh, if you Google Van Morrison, days like this, and me, Brian Kennedy, You'll see the video that we made for that 25 years ago, I think it was now, maybe longer ago, 26 years ago. But yes, it's an incredibly hopeful, optimistic song about going, you know, when it's not always raining, there'll be days like this, you know, there'll be hopeful days, there'll be good days, bad days. And I love the optimism in that song. Yeah, indeed. Um, One of the other ones I want to draw attention to that you've recorded, Asquelga, because you you collaborated on Isht, and you've done a wonderful uh, rendition of uh, Isht the Store. Yeah, isn't that a beautiful song? Beautiful. Written by Maura Branagh yeah. back in the day. And he, I'd met her via a, a drummer friend of ours who's no longer with us called Dave Early. Dave Early played with Van and Shade and uh, Mary Black, all these incredible people. And so um, Dave alerted me to uh, Maura Branagh's work. She had a record called Angel's Candles that was really beautiful. But she was one of the only people I knew that was writing contemporary songs in Irish because that's what she did. She's an amazing fiddle player. And so she had Aisha Stewart uh, and asked me to come and, and be part of that. So initially it was a duet on her record, and then I re-recorded it solo for this. It's, there's Aisha uh, and uh, also Aisha Rish, which is volume two of that album, yes. and I collaborate with, with Cahill Sharkey on that yeah. uh, second one. But yeah, I mean, and also my, to my great pride as well, you know our station, TJ Cahar here, um, the Irish station, it was, that was only launched about 25 years ago now, 26 years ago. And at the official launch, Austin, whether you know this or not, 
you know, the, the lights all come up and it's a brand new TV station. It's all very exciting. And the first voice you hear is mine singing a story, you know, uh, you know, all of that. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. So I feel honored to be part of that song. Indeed, indeed. Um, I'm keeping an eye on time, and I hate okay. to say it, we're we're coming up towards where we need to wrap up because I could talk for hours. It's been it's, it's wonderful chatting with you. Um, yes. Looking ahead, I know you've been doing a few Facebook um, uh, events, concerts, and yes. uh, that uh, you're busy Every on that week. side. Yeah, and you did one with recently with Mary Coughlin, and we're going to be chatting one with Mary. Mary yeah. I mean, I was trying to, you know, we're going to do it every two weeks. It's on Facebook Live. It's called A Night In with Brian Kennedy. And every two weeks I'm going to come up with different songs, different sets. I also preview books I'm reading, films I'm watching on Netflix, whatever it is. Um, actually, I, I, I thought Shit's Creek was extraordinary, talking about Canadian extraordinariness. You know, um, that's a very powerful series, six seasons of it, so I adore that. Um, yeah, I mean... Y- I think what's happening now is that we just have to come up with a hybrid way of communicating with our audiences because we can't yet get into venues. So what, what better venue than the World Wide Web? Mm-hmm. Every two weeks, like I say, um, have a look at it. I'm going to try and have a special guest every fortnight. Mary Cochran was my first proper guest. And, you know, what fun we had. We sang an Elvis song. She sang some of her, her new material. I know you're going to be doing an interview with her yourself soon. I mean, she's just one of the most authentic singers that I know. I love that she sings in her own accent. And again, she and myself are very honest about the fact that it's a very difficult time for artists. Mm-hmm. So to be able to reach out through the lens and go down into people's houses through the computer is an extraordinary thing. I love it. When you mentioned accent, one of the other collaborators you had was Julia Turner. And Julia, yeah. she always let her accent come through, which was wonderful. Well, as I always say, you know, Beyonce would never dream of singing in anything other than her own accent. Yes. Uh, same with Peggy Lang, same with Joni Mitchell other people I really admire so uh, yeah it, it doesn't occur to me that I'm singing in my own accent it's just what I do and Juliet is the same I adore her for that and we recorded a song called I Hope That I Will Fall In Love With You yes uh, a Tom Waits song and also the Paul Brady classic The Island we did that together too yes. so yeah all these things are online my god the beauty of things being online the downside of it is that it's all for free and, and artists don't really make any money from it so yeah. but of course that's a whole nother uh, series of, of program that we might touch next time. And I know that you're hoping that there's some work being done that may get you participating in some virtual festivals later on in the year as well. That's correct. That's all going on as we speak, so look out for that. But do visit the website, briankennedy.ie or .co.uk, whichever you've got, and all of the upcoming information will be there. And I'm a big Instagrammer and a Twitter fella. I love it. <laughs> Brian Kennedy, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you. You too, Austin. Great to talk to you. And a big love from Dublin to all your listeners there in, in Ottawa.